Today is Friday, November 18th, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman, episode 487, featuring former ESPN fantasy basketball writer and, of course, good friend of mine. He's on the show all the time, Seth Landman, powered by BetOnline.ag. Go to BetOnline.ag today, use the promo code CLNS50 for a 50% bonus on your first deposit. What's up, everybody? New edition of Celtics Beat here on a Friday. Celtics continue to win. That is all good. A lot of deep diving into stats that we will be doing. Evan Valenti, Seth Landman is here. Good to see him. I am Adam Kaufman. I had promised on Twitter, guys, that uh, this this was going to be a, a very special episode because we were going to have a first-time guest on the program. Uh, clearly, if you are watching or listening, this isn't that. That being said, I do think this is going to be a good one. And, uh, and the very special guest that was promised will be with us within the next couple of weeks. It's just not this time around, but Landman, I don't want, I don't want that to make you feel less than because I still love you. A little uh, less special. Yeah, I was going to say, Kaufman, you're really doing a terrible job then. <laughs> <laughs> I was just saying to you guys before we came on too, it's, uh, just to, just to really make the listeners feel like they've come for a good show. It's remarkable the 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 lack of effort I put in when I know that you're coming on the show because I know that you are going to carry us. You are going to just present us with all the analytics, all the numbers, all the things that will make everybody feel good that I really just have to be traffic cop. Beautiful. Yeah, I'm, and I, I like to get a little spiritual with it too, I think. You know, like we'll talk about ball movement. Yeah. We'll t- you know. The last time Blamon was on, we talked about this last week, Kaufman. I don't have any scotch this time around, unfortunately. Was the last time you were on? Did, no, you yeah. were on in the summer. Well, wait. I wanted to bring this up. So I, so I talked to Evan without you, and it was like right before oh, the really? finals. Oh, right, right. before the I finals. Thought meant, I thought you meant through text or something. Yeah. No, the, no, on this podcast, yeah. and yeah, we, we were talking about that with Abby Chin just a couple weeks ago. So last week, I was thinking about time flies. All right, I was ahead. thinking about the fact, I don't know if it's okay to, if, like, if you want to start here, but like, um, I was thinking about how one of the things we talked about is that like win or lose in the finals, I thought it was great that they were going to play against the Warriors. I thought that could be a real learning experience. And I would say that Tatum is showing in the early stages of this year that he learned a lot from that Warriors series. Well, go on. Well, I, I mean... So like he's getting off. So I want to talk about how he's like getting off the ball earlier this year. So it comes up in a bunch of different ways. Um, one of the weird things about this season is that he's like his percentage on like, um, like step back threes is actually not as good as it usually is, but he's doing all these other things. Like, um, he's getting so many more catch and shoot threes. And I was looking up, he's just like, in terms of the last few seasons, he's blowing away the number of, like so many more of his baskets are assisted, even though he's averaging more points, like he's getting it in the flow of the offense. It's up to like the last three years, he's been around like 41, 47% of his baskets are assisted this year. It's up at like 59%, which is just a huge jump. And normally for star players, that percentage goes down as they like, as they take over more of the offense, like they generate more of their own points and fewer of their baskets are assisted. And I think the fact that he's like getting, getting rid of the ball early and letting it come back to him means he's getting so much easier looks and like so much easier driving lanes. And I think I don't like you play against Steph in the finals, Steph Curry in the finals, and he kicks your ass for six games. And it's like, you, you learn that you need to get off the ball. I think. So you're, a lot of the things that we've been talking about on the show in recent weeks and, and how strong he's come out of the gate or just the team in general, we've, we've sort of fixated on, uh, I've really harped on the fact that I, I think there's, there's just, there's a valuable learning experience in losing in the finals versus losing in the conference finals. You know, you lose in the conference finals and you know, you've, you've, you've gone on a deep playoff run. You're one of the final four, like that's all well and good, but you lose and you kind of chalk it and you're like, Oh, we're not there yet. You know, you get to the finals and you lose and you've reached the top of the mountain. You know, as the, the analogy I think I've used is you've reached the top of the mountain. You just, you're not the one that gets to plant the flag, right? Like you're, you're the one, you're the one, like you got there, you tasted it. Now you know what it takes 
But you're saying, and I, I just want you to expand upon it a little bit, that it's not just losing in the finals. It's losing in the finals specifically to the Warriors that you can learn a lot from. Right. Like if you imagine a version of last season where the Celtics lose instead of the Warriors to the other Western Conference finalist team, the Mavericks, mm. you know, what would you learn from losing a series to Luka? You you would learn that like that an individual player is so unguardable that there's just nothing you can do. Right. Like that one person is controlling the whole offense and sort of like um, willing his team to victory through sheer force of will. And it's just not the way Steph Curry plays like Steph Curry this year is already like, um, I mean, the Warriors are struggling, but he's been almost better than he's ever been. And, and more and more, it just, his, what he's able to do off the ball. I think, I think he learned really early on, maybe like even during his college career at Davidson, where he had defenses just completely focused on him was that, it's much easier if you get rid of it and then move move without it and get it back. Um, and, you know, if you think about some of the things, like the other thing that was good about playing the Warriors, I think, is they're such a smart defensive team. And we, we spent the whole finals being so frustrated about Tatum and Brown losing the ball on drives. Mm. And and that's what happens when you when you drive into a set defense. But when you drive into a defense that's been shifted because the ball is moving via the pass, you're, you're much less likely to turn it over. I mean, the other thing we're noticing early this year is that, what are they, like first in the league in turnover rate on offense? Yeah. So, um, I mean, that's a huge piece of why they've been so good offensively. So I think all that stuff just, I mean, the Warriors just play a little differently than most teams. I think most teams get a superstar and then that superstar controls everything. Um, and the Warriors don't really do it that way. They like Steph is just like one of the best I've ever seen at being willing to like use, um, use his off ball movement to affect things rather than being on the ball. Yeah. Well, I'm curious as, as your thoughts, you know, kind of going back to the off season a little bit, because we're watching this, this continued evolution of, of Jason Tatum. Like he's not even 25. He's not even in his prime yet. Like with the three of us, we'll, we'll text constantly. And I think, you know, Landman, you said something the other day to the effect of like, we're just so lucky to be able to watch Jason Tatum on our team, right? On the team that we watch on a daily basis, that we support, that we care most about, obviously, and watching him grow into, you know, place him wherever you want. Like certainly a top 10 player in the NBA, you know, plenty of people would put him in the top five. He's, you know, on well on the way to, to, I don't want to say he's on the way to being number one, but he's on the way to being in the conversation to being number one anyway. And certainly, you know, if if anyone said, hey, you know, this guy's going to win an MVP at some point, you might balk at that and say he's going to win an MVP this year, what he's been doing right now. He's been absolutely incredible. What you were talking about, though, Evan, throughout a lot of the offseason from last year to this year was, you know, like Point Tatum. We were talking about point guards and has this offense going to run. And this offense under Joe Missoula has been a juggernaut far and away the best offense in the NBA. And we'll talk more about that as a team, but specific to Tatum, he's scoring well, he's shooting well, he's off to, he's talked about it multiple times, the best start he's ever gotten to, to a season. But in terms of, you know, point Tatum, if you will, the assist numbers are actually down a little bit. They're not bad. You know, he's, he's averaging 4.1 last year. It was 4.4 the year before it was 4.3. So he's in line with what he's been doing, but it's not like he's averaging five. You know what I mean? So are are you seeing from him what you expected, or is this different, even if it's different in a good way? It's a little different than what I expected, to be honest with you. Um, and I think it's for a good reason. Um, I was in the mold of the heliocentric uh, offense of Tatum kind of at the end of, like, big playoff games when things – and I still think it's possible this goes this way. I prefer if it didn't. Um, but the way – the way the the season ended, it just felt like because Boston didn't have enough manpower to kind of keep up with Golden State, um, that it felt like every possession just needed to be in Tatum's hands and he just dictates where it goes. The one thing I will say is this team has taken just a ginormous leap collectively, offensively as a unit in terms of ball movement, um, in terms of off-ball movement. I, I could not have forecasted this team doing what they're doing right now. Um, and this is a credit to Joe Missoula, and I keep apologizing for my take at the beginning of the season 
when Joe Mazzullo was hired as head coach and I went really into this is going to be catastrophic for Boston. It, I couldn't have been more wrong about that. And I'll continue to tell everybody I was wrong about that. Uh, I am so impressed with how this team moves as a unit. Um, Seth and I were talking today about in transition, it feels like that Boston pushes more than they ever have. And if you look at the data, it actually suggests that it's maybe not true, but it certainly feels like it. Um, it feels like a more f- fair opportunity offense. It looks more like, and I'm not trying to say they're Golden State because they're not. The, there's a whole different level of offense going on there. But it feels more like that than it does the Luka and, and the Mavs, right? It feels more like a team that everybody touches it, the ball finds the open guy, and it's just more aesthetically pleasing to watch than Luka sit there. And, and again, I love watching Luka, and I love watching Jokic do everything. To have one person do that's amazing, but it's just a, it's a better, I think, in a more successful model to have what Boston currently has as an offense. I just didn't think they were really capable of it, you know, and, you know, we'll see what happens when Rob comes back. But again, everybody in this starting lineup is sharing the basketball extremely well. Um, you know, there's no like your turn, my turn sort of thing between Tatum and Brown. They have found a way to just feel out the game. Uh, along with Missoula, like there was the night the other night, I think Tatum had 16 points in five minutes and, you know, timeout gets called and the first play that gets run is actually a play for Jalen Brown. Cause it's like, we haven't gotten Jalen Brown involved in a long time. Let's get him a touch. And he scored like on one of the easiest twos I think he's had all season. So it's just this team collectively took a giant leap, like all together at the same time. Um, Tatum being a big part of that, but he, it's definitely not what I expected. And I'm kind of pleasantly okay with being wrong about that and and i'm thrilled that boston has found a different level because it's more sustainable the one thing i don't like and again i again i beat the drum for it throughout the entire offseason um but those teams don't always work you know like i said you know look at hard and look at look at lebron look at luca uh you know Giannis certainly last season got to that point because it was just him and Drew Holiday at the end of that series, and it had to be Giannis every time. So, like, it does work, but what they're doing now is way better, and I just want to commend everybody for getting on the same page. So it might not be what I expected, but it's definitely more necessary to play this way than not. And, again, I'll be wrong about that. I don't mind wearing that at all. This is much, much, much better. I I just can't believe what they're doing offensively. Like, they had – they they were and again it's not the per 100 or per 36 but the Boston Celtics scored 120 points with 5 minutes to go in the fourth quarter and uh and put all their subs in and they scored 127 their offensive points per game went up and it wasn't a great night for Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown had you know a decent night but not a, a great Jalen night that's pretty impressive as a team offense when your best player does not shoot the ball well your second best player has an okay night and you end up scoring more points than you're averaging that's phenomenal phenomenal Seth, it's probably uh, difficult to answer this question without bias, so I I don't expect you to, but maybe not full bias. Is there anyone in the NBA that you would take over Jason Tatum right now on your team? Anybody. Straight up, you can make a trade. You can have anyone in the NBA, but you're giving up Jason Tatum. Is there anyone on that list? Yeah, I'd take Nikola. I mean, like, I'd take take Jokic. And maybe Giannis, yeah. I mean, like... I don't know. It, the bias part is like, I, I'm like, I'm really heavy into my, like what brings me joy as a person watching basketball games lately, like mm. almost more than like winning necessarily. And so I just love seeing the ball move, but to Evan's point about, I don't know, I guess when you look at the different superstars around the league um, and think about like role and system I think it's really interesting. There is quite a bit of variety. I mean, it would be tempting to compare Jokic to Luka in some ways, but in other ways, it's like, like Luka exerts so much control over the offense. Like everything that happens on that Dallas offense when he's on the floor is like, is a, is a choice that he's making. Whereas Jokic, I think, uh, is, is much more willing to like get off it and cut without it. Um, and like sort of screen for other people. I mean, one of the things that stands out most about Jokic is, is the two man games that he develops, like um, alongside Murray or more recently with bones Highland. I don't know. I mean, 
But but to to your point, the list of people, it's not like a a gimme to take any of those guys over Tatum. And I think I think the thing he's never got Tatum's never gotten quite enough credit for is that he basically showed up in the NBA as a smart team defender and he's just gotten better in that role. I mean, the fact that he's blocking more shots now with Rob out is huge, especially since I mean, maybe we'll talk about this later, but Horford like isn't really blocking shots this year. And so, yeah, I think, I mean, you know, you could argue he deserves to get consideration for first team all defense at this point. And so in that way, and you could maybe argue that he's a more impactful offensive player than Giannis in some ways, although Giannis's brute force is maybe something Tatum can't match. But yeah, I mean, like to me, there's no argument that he's not one of the five best players in the league. And it's it, it's easy to imagine that he could be the most valuable. Yeah. Well, our, our boy Michael Pina uh, wrote an article for The Ringer recently and dubbed Tatum the most complete player in the league. He's not the MVP. He gave the Luka, which I don't have a problem with because of Luka's start has been just absolutely insane. And then he hit the shot the other night. Uh, who did they play? The Clippers the other night? Yeah, yeah. I mean, just an – and I, and I – it's. Quick aside in my head, and I think I tweeted it out. I was like, oh, it's good to know that other people get killed by Luca like this, other than just the Celtics, because every time they play each other, Luca hits some absolutely or gives it up to Dinwiddie. It's a backbreaking three at the same time. So it's like one of those things. Um, but like, it's hard to argue with the most complete player in the league, um, moniker because of the way you can score at all three levels mm-hmm. and the way you can impact the game defensively. And there's not too many guys that can do that. Um, I mean, Luca's an all-world offensive player if the defense isn't there. And Giannis can't shoot threes like Tatum can. Um, I will say, like, to go back to the theme earlier of, of learning, I mean, Luca, I, I do think Luca learned a lot, um, in last year's playoffs, like getting embarrassed by Booker and Paul at the beginning of that Sun series. I kind of feel like he's been a way better defender this year. Um, I don't know. It's interesting, like, which superstars have that moment where, like somebody kicks them in the teeth and they either like learn from it or like settle into their own stuff more than they ever have kind of like, like are you Tatum or Embiid at this point? Yeah. or Har- I mean, it's interesting that Embiid and Harden are on the same team, right? It's like those, those guys seem to like, I don't know, like when things get hard, they like veer even further into like what they know works instead of learning something new, maybe. Um, Yeah. Feel that. I don't know. Tatum, Tatum's game is gone just again, because we always talk about the meme, like where in the meme are we? I don't know. Do, are we making a new meme now? But this <laughs> Tatum's start has been just unbelievable. Um, and we all thought that he would vault himself into a different stratosphere at some point this season. Didn't think it would be the beginning of the season. And what he told Embiid is like, you better win MVP this year because you're never going to win it again. Like he might have been right about that because it's, it's, it's something, and the, my biggest thing with Tatum is how many free throws he's going. He's going to the line a lot more this year, and it's oh, such yeah. an easy way to get him going. Um, he and it, it maybe it's because he's getting off it and then getting it back and attacking closeouts differently. And like, there are so many different ways he can get to the free throw line, but the fact that he's getting there, you know, nine, ten, eleven times a game, like that's a huge part of his development because it was always, you know, when there's that long, that quick with that type of body, like it was just a matter of time and he's just really put it all together right now. He's finishing through contact sometimes, not all the time, but the fact that he's drawing fouls at a higher rate is just ginormous for his, for his game. Yeah. 8.7 is the average, which has just been, I mean, that's been the dream. We've been, we've been talking about that for years with Tatum, like mother of God, get to the line 10 times per game and think about what could be. And I guess, you know, I, I look at, sort of where we're at right now and and again 15 games in and and we're not even talking about the team just yet just still with Jason Tatum you know this is for any for for longtime listeners of this show anyway you well know that I have been the most resistant of certainly between Evan and I but probably compared to most people that even come on the show as guests to dub him a superstar it's always been you know the the budding superstar he's on the way he will be he's not quite there yet and the hesitation on my part has been the lack of consistency you know you'll see him go on this absurd run for we're not talking days weeks like he'll for half a season the guy will be unstoppable but then you think back to the the first couple months of last season when you know he was anything but you know he shot about as poorly as as he ever has to begin a year and all of that 
I really think from last year through the playoffs, even considering all the turnovers, like I, I'm, I'm taking that in, into consideration through the playoffs into where we are right now. Like he's made the turn. The guy is a superstar, obviously, you know, I, it, if you want to say like, welcome to the party, that's fine. You know, we're there. Everybody's at the same table. Now, Jason Tatum is a superstar, but what I'm wondering, Seth is, do you think it's sustainable? And I don't mean consistency necessarily. And I don't mean it, you know, is he going to all of a sudden, I'm going to say he's not a superstar in three weeks. What I mean is he's averaging 31 points a game. He's shooting damn near 50% from the field. He's, you know, I, I think the the free throw percentage will maintain, you know, he's 87, 88. I, I actually think the three point percentage probably will improve. He's right around 36, but in terms of his overall game, and and even I guess just the one number of points per game. Like, can he given the the not can he ability wise, but can he given the supporting cast around him and everyone kind of getting a chance to eat and Jalen Brown in particular, can he average thirty points a game? Like, is this an offense that allows for that? Yeah, it, definitely. Um, I think the fact that he's doing like it's kind of his season so far is really kind of blowing me away. I mean, I brought up the assisted percentage number. I mean. The fact that he is incre- has increased to over 31 a game while like relying on passes from his teammates to feed more of his offense, that seems like an incredibly good sign. I, like, it seems like there's a lot of ways that he's scoring that are just intuitively about reading what the defense is doing. And that's the kind of stuff a de- you can't really plan for that because, because it's not just him like doing one thing over and over again. Um, like banging his head against a wall and the defense can adjust for that one thing he's doing. Um, you know, the, like, I think the reason there's a few reasons he's getting to the line more. I mean, I think I've sort of been obsessed for you. I might've even talked about this on this podcast before, but about like, he's always gotten to the line more in the playoffs and then it regresses in the regular season. Like his free throw rates are way higher in the playoffs over the course of his career. So I wonder, you know, getting closer to like the physical prime or whatever like is he just like so much stronger now that he can kind of like hold his line a little better like without having to you know in the playoffs you amp yourself up and you know you have to do it and it's like it's more important and maybe in the regular season it's like harder to do that uh, on a regular basis so I wonder how much just strength has to do with it um but yeah I think he can absolutely average 30 I mean he's again like there's going to be games where he has to go to the go to his like ISO game and his step back stuff more. And I think more of those shots will go in than, than are right now. Um, are you but, okay with playing 37 minutes a game? Okay. I've been thinking about this minutes thing a lot. Cause I feel like at the top of the league, individual player minutes are kind of up. I haven't like really looked into the numbers that yet that much yet. But I, when I checked the other day, there were more guys than last year averaging like over 36 minutes a game. Um, and I'm wondering if like, I think we just are always a little bit behind what the teams know about the science of this stuff and like, which minute, I wonder if there's stuff going on about like, which minutes are higher leverage than other minutes. And like, are are there, are there ways that like the people who are doing the data are looking into this where like, you can get up to 37, 38 minutes and it, it, it's like maybe the same wear and tear that 35 would have been depending on like which minutes it is or and I and I also think the fact that he's getting off the ball more probably means he's like getting beat up a lot less, even though he's getting to the line more. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I guess I'm not too concerned about the minutes. I feel like, I feel like with this team, the front office is like pretty aware of that stuff and is probably talking about it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't think Jalen wants. No, Jason wants to play all the time. Like, yeah. I just don't think he like doesn't like being on the floor. I'm he- always. I'm always terrified. I feel like it's terrifying to talk about this stuff. Also, (laughs) it's like, yeah, I don't like. He's been durable. I like. I hate even saying that out loud. But I played through COVID. Yeah, yeah, he did. I mean, the one the thing he went on the run with the shortened off season. Team USA came back, played all that. Like, I've been just hoping for a break for him. He finally had a real off season this year Mm -hmm. to recharge the batteries, and you know he comes out and has his best start ever. Like not kind of a shock to me considering he's had time to really rest. Um, and the one thing I'll say, the wrap on the hand with the, you know, the wrist tape and then like the, the, the guard here um, got me a little 
a little nervous at first, but he must just, you know, as an extra precaution, just in case he gets bumped there, he doesn't want, like, that's fine with me. Do we got to do? Um, but I am monitoring, like, just all the little n- nagging stuff that can, that can add up over a course of a season. Like, I'll never forget. There was this great, and I don't remember who they were playing. I remember him being on the Ravens at the time, I believe. There was this great graphic of all the injuries Steve McNair was playing with. <laughs> and it was like, it was like, <laughs> he had like busted cartilage in his rib cage. Like, I remember he had this. like broken fingers, like collarbone, like shoulder, like turf toe. <laughs> I was like, this guy's a maniac. Uh, one of my favorite quarterbacks of all time, Steve McNair. I just, I don't want Tame to be that guy who's playing through all this nag and stuff. Like, dude, take time off, please. If you, if you like this whole Malcolm situation, right? Brogdon had a, a couple of games off to heal a nagging hamstring injury. Totally fine. Like, everything worked out. They won every game he sat. Uh, maybe some tougher ones in there. You know, that Oklahoma City game was a little interesting, but, you know, they managed to win all the games. He gets full rest. Hopefully he's back Friday night against uh, the Pelicans and, and he's back to the normal self. Like, I am so pro. Everybody take whatever time you need to get back to 100% healthy. Like, Rob, just relax. Like, don't do anything crazy. Like, don't try and push it. They don't need you. Like, I am every single player on this team. I just want to like tell them that to their face. Like, if you need time, please take time because when they get to April and May, like everybody's got to be healthy because it's this is beautiful what's happened so far the first fifteen games. I just think it's so interesting how, and and it's not surprising, but I, it's interesting how each guy you look at differently in that respect. Like Jason mm-hmm. Tatum, you just expect because of you know, historical durability and everything. You expect he's going to play 75 plus games. Hell, you expect him to play 80, but, but if, if he plays 75 and sits a couple, like, all right, whatever, like we'll see in the playoffs, Malcolm Brogdon, to your point, Evan, if he plays 60, that's a win. Mm-hmm. Like you're, you're, you're good with that. Like if he plays 60, you know, full meaning healthy, full potential, full caliber games, and gives you whatever is asked of him, obviously, and then that that trade looks like that much more of a steal. I mean, they gave up basically nothing for him, and and the only reason that anyone would have even maybe hesitated a little bit was, can he stay on the floor? So if he gives you 60-plus games, you know, 60-65, and right now, like you said, he's sitting out a few for, you know, really because they don't need him. Like, it's, it's a nagging injury. It's maintenance. Just get yourself right. It's fine. We just want to see you later. And the fact that they're winning without him makes it all the sweeter because it's not hurting them at all. We don't even know it as we sit here definitively uh, right now if he's going to play in in the game tonight in New Orleans. I expect he probably will. I expect that, you know, Marcus Smart probably will. I expect they're going to win the game. None of that really matters. It's a big picture show, so we're not fixated on a game that most people, you know, will have watched by the time they listen to this podcast anyway. And hopefully, you know, if you're out there listening right now, it's a nine-game winning streak and not an eight-game winning streak. But it's just interesting how we identify different guys in different ways. But I want to get to more of the team on the whole. But before we do that, a quick break to shout out our good friends, our sponsors, our partners, BetOnline. BetOnline.ag specifically. Uh, basketball, is, of course, it's it's back. We're a quarter of the way into the season, almost anyway. BetOnline, your top spot, your top source for all your sports betting needs throughout this season. You'll find all the latest odds, latest matchup info, player news, game trends. It's all available to you at BetOnline. And uh, as your continued source for all your sports wagering information, BetOnline features live betting, which uh, Landman here loves live betting, pre-contest, live scores, giveaways all season long. It's all available to you. MVP, Jason Tatum, folks, he's the favorite right now. Wasn't even top five when we entered the year, as I recall, but he is the favorite right now at plus 290, the next coach to be fired. You will not find Joe Missoula on this list. Uh, Dwayne Casey is the favorite there at plus 300. Joe Missoula might even be the favorite, or he's certainly top three for coach of the year. The guy is having a uh, a great run to start off his NBA career in that seat. Uh, always the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports and events. Bet NFL. Playoffs are not too far away. We're about halfway through that year. Uh, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, even golf, you name it, baseball futures. Uh, you, you can't bet awards anymore. Awards season's over and everything went pretty much the way everybody expected. But had you gotten in early, you could have bet and won some money. Head to betonline.ag, join up, receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure you use that promo code. It is CLNS50 to receive your rewards. Bet online where the game starts. Not where I was planning to go, but now I'm thinking about it here, Seth. 
sure. uh, because because you you do like to you know drop a shekel or two on something that interests you in the NBA. You know, I do. Do you have a uh, a favorite bet right now that either you've already made that you're tracking or one that you're thinking about making? Favorite. That's interesting. Um, Yeah. A couple long shot kind of things. I like, I like, um, I like the possibility of Bones Highland for sixth man of the year. He's been uh, great with Denver. I think, you know, he's making a ton of threes, but he can't make a two pointer right now. Those will start going in. He's great going to the basket, and I think they need him. I think like they made that trade in the off season to get rid of Monte Morris, and in part because they knew Highland was going to be good. The other one I really like is um, and it probably I liked it before the season, and the player has lived up to it. But I think maybe Shea Gilgis Alexander has like surpassed him. But I like Keldon Johnson for most improved player. If mm-hmm. people decide that Shea Shea was like already too good to be considered for that, yeah. probably won't happen because like of I mean Ja I think Ja won it last year, but like um anyway yeah I like Keldon Johnson's having a great year for the Spurs, uh, and that was like a long shot. I think it was like thirty three to one when I got in on that. So where's Shane the MVP vote? I mean I know he's not going to win. He's, he's, but up, with, he's up there. What now. He's doing right now. He's up there now. I want to be able. I couldn't do it on on Bol, so Bol get on this. I want to parlay Tatum for MVP, Missoula for Coach of the Year, mm-hmm. and and Brad for Executive. I want to do the trifecta here because wow. if if Boston were to, if Boston were to finish with the best record in the NBA, which one of those three are 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 they not going to get Coach of the Year? Because Will Hardy wins a bunch of games. I'm not quite sure if that holds the whole way. Uh, Tatum maybe not get MVP or Brad. Like I think Brad, given what we've seen so far, uh, executive of the year has got to be in the cards for him. He is batting almost a thousand right now. I would say that Missoula would be least likely to win of those three. I would think Tatum. That's tough, but like they, they all three of them have a legitimate shot at it because the start. I mean, you know, Tatum's going to be. It's going to be tough because Giannis is insane. Uh, Luca's even more insane concerning the, the workload he has to do. Um, I love Jokic, but they're not going to give it to him this year. Um, right. So I think it's like those three guys primarily. Um, I guess I just, you know, I, I, I look at the Joe situation and I think that it, and this is just me playing, I'm not saying he's undeserving. I'm just playing devil's advocate. I, if, if this is what we're seeing sustainable just across the league, not just the Celtics, people will look at Utah, people look at Portland, people look at, you know, some of these teams that, that are maybe overachieving and people look at Boston and say, yeah, man, you like, you got thrust into the job a a few days before training camp and that's not easy, but look at all the talent, look at the roster, look at, you know, like you, you, you already, you were handed the keys to a a car that went to the NBA finals last year and and maybe you improve them a little bit. Uh, We'll see what the, where the win loss record finishes, but you know, ultimately like some of these other guys, they did a more impressive job. I could see that the voting going that way. There's a lot we still need to learn. I mean, like, who know? you know, I mean, like some of the Portland's interesting. I actually think I placed a long shot bet on Billups for coach of the year, like 80 to one before the year started to come to think of it. But Looking good. Looking yeah. very good. Yeah. But um, I don't know. That one's interesting because I do think that team, they're like a veteran team. They're all in. But Utah, it's hard to I mean, I think that I think that offense is like totally real. I just think there's a chance they. It's still not over in terms of them deciding. They broke it down on Twitter. It was like it's the most beautiful offense in basketball. I mean that offense. Like I do think if you if you're four and five or Laurie Markinen and Kelly Olynyk, you're going to have a good offense. That's like a lot of shooting and and stuff to have on the floor. But uh, the defense, I don't think, can sustain. And I, who knows if they even want to? That's the question with OKC also. Well, in the spirit of sustainability, let's get get back to the Celtics. We've we've spent. Way more time than I not you know justified, but way more time than I had thought we would on on Jason Tatum. So I'm glad we did that. But let's well, we're going to do a three hour podcast though, right? Well, that's a good point. We'll be here for the next couple hours. Let's <laughs> let's talk about. Uh, I got nowhere to be. Let's talk about the the team in general though, and the fact that what's you know I think what's blown people away. We'll talk about the defense and and the fact that it is rising. By the way, they're middle of the pack in terms of defensive efficiency. A couple of weeks last, ago, they were bottom ten in the league. Last ten days, they're one in offense, six in defense. Thanks, yeah, yeah. Goldsberry. So, you know, small sample sizes, but the number one in offense that has been the case pretty much from the get go. And and the offensive efficiency rating is like one twenty. It's absurd what is happening right now, and that is without a a complete package. Like you've mm-hmm. had Brogdon miss a few you know pretty much a third of the season at this point you've had 
you know, Smart missed a few games. You've had, you know, Brown has missed one. Horford's missed a couple. Like, you know, it's it, it, no devastating injuries or anything like that. You know, knock on wood, obviously. But there's, you know, the they, they've they not been a, a full, complete unit day in and day out. There have had, you know, there there have been guys that have been out. And first and foremost, Rob Williams, who as much as we laud his defense, he's a big part of the offense, too. Mm-hmm. He has not played yet so far this season. So, is, is this sustainable? Is what is is 120, 119 offensive rating first in the league, wire to wire? Is that sustainable? What you've seen so far? Okay, so I got a lot for you here. Great. Um, I, the answer to the question is is kind of it is kind of sustainable. Like, uh, so cleaning the glass. Uh, for people, if people don't know that site, it's a really great site with NBA stats, and and they um. One of the things they track is, um, so you can look at a team's, uh, effective field goal percentage, which is just like a measure of how efficiently they make shots. Mm-hmm. But you can also look at what, what you would expect their effective field goal percentage to be based on the location of the shots they're taking. So traditionally the Celtics, um, have been like, have kind of like hovered around league average in terms of like the quality of the location of the shots they're taking. That's gone up this year. They're near, they're near the top of the league. So I do think there are like, even though there, there's some like hot shooting stuff going on. Um, they're getting like, they're getting the best shots basically of any team in the league. They've replaced, like they've kept the amount of shots that are getting at the rim basically the same. And they've replaced a ton of mid range shots with threes. And beyond that, it's not just like any threes. Um, I was looking up. So last year they were around 36 and a half percent of their threes were uh, of the uh, were like wide open threes and now it's like up to 40%. So I think like they're they're getting like more wide open threes um which so it makes sense that they're making more of them. Um so uh, like some of that stuff like they are outperforming what you would expect their field goal percentage to be based on the shots they're getting, but not like um they're getting way better shots. So I think that's like a huge piece of it. Um I, by the way, I think Tatum, Tatum's like ability to get off the ball is just like a huge part of that, why they're generating more open threes. If you think about like how many of his like off dribble threes that were contested have been replaced with him shooting catch and shoot threes, that's like, that's just a huge difference. Um, and then the other stuff going on, like, you know, they don't get offensive rebounds, but that's kind of always been the case. Like they're, they're going to prioritize other things over that. But like to to go from middle of the pack in turnovers to the top of the league in turnovers, that like makes a huge difference in your offensive efficiency. And I think the ball movement is a big piece of that too. Um, there's like, uh, you know, when you look at NBA stats, like some stuff ends up feeling like luck and some stuff feels sustainable. And um, people have done a bunch of research on this. There's like a really good article from a few years ago in Nylon Calculus um, about this. Um, about like stabilization rates of stats. So like when the question is like, if you're looking at a stat early in the season, how do you know when you can like start to trust that stat? And like people have sort of accepted the fact that like opponent three point shooting percentage is this thing that's like mostly luck that that tends to like if if you're if you're if opponents are making like all their threes or none of their threes, you can basically predict that a team will like it'll start going the other way at some point, but some stuff like uh, mostly stylistic stuff, you can trust it pretty early. And so like the way a team is playing. So the fact that the Celtics are getting to the line more is like a thing that is like immediately sustainable. That's just like stylistically how they're playing. And I think turnovers are kind of like that too. So like the they've gone way up in free throw rate and they've gone way up in turnover percentage or like better in turnover percentage. And so I think that stuff is all really sustainable. The one thing that feels like a red flag is um, they're making a ton of mid-range shots, like compared to last year. I think at like uh, last for the last three years, they've been at like 0.83 points per shot on long twos. And this year they're almost, they're like 0.9 something. So they're just like making maybe an unsustainable amount of long twos. But even if, so like with the offensive rating, it's like, it's at 120 or whatever. Like, even if it falls to like 117, they'd be number one in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, so they they're like they have some air, some like room to, um, 
lose a little efficiency and still be the best offense in the league, actually. It is crazy. Celtics sitting 119.2 as we chat right now. The Kings, who have, you know, their their record should be better than it is, but 117.5. And then after that, 115.5 is is the best. And then it's, you know, a, a whole lot of teams are are separated by like a point or two. You know what I mean? But, yeah. but for the, the Celtics are just, other than Sacramento, are so far in front of everybody. And this is this is not I know it's a small sample size relatively, uh, but but it's a it's just one of those stats, as you know, when you were just outlining, it's one of those stats where like even percentages of a point are noteworthy, let alone four full points between first and third place. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and um, if you so like there there are sites like uh, Dunks and Threes does does like they do offensive rating, but they account for strength of schedule. Mm. When you look at that stuff, like the Celtics are blowing everybody away by even more. It just gets like more extreme. Um, so yeah, I mean, it like they have a lot of room to play with. They're probably getting a little lucky, but they're probably also the best offense in the league anyway. Well, it's, it's comes back to like Joe Mazzullo in two different ways. One schematically, they just, it's just beautiful to watch again. And the thing, the other thing that I, I think, Adds to this. Um, it's again, it goes back to Joe Missoula and just outlining everybody's role. And I've, I've noticed this from Brogdon. He's talked about this, I think, multiple times, how they want to have the best bench in the league. And mm-hmm. I think they have the best bench in the league. And I think everybody on the team thinks they have the best bench in the league. Yeah. It's not like these I guys are like the deepest team in the league. Yeah. And it, in a, in a league that's really like, deep right now, by the way. Yet, we were saying that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you look around the league, there's a lot of teams that are really deep, but Boston off the bench. I mean, is there a, are there two guards in the league like Derek White and Malcolm Brockton coming off anybody else's bench? I just want to point out just real quick for the people that clown the Derek White trade and there are people our own network. These people clown, exist that clown the Derek White trade because he had a bad finals. You're all eating it today. I cannot believe that people even thought about having that opinion. Derek White is such a ginormous luxury for this team. Mm-hmm. And he is their fourth guard, basically, off the bench if you make Jalen a guard. And if you make Jalen a wing, he's their third guard. And having Peyton Pritchard as your fourth or fifth guard, absolutely ridiculous. This mm-hmm. team is so stacked on the bench that Peyton barely plays. And as you've seen, thanks to the Atlanta game, like he can still play. There, there, there would be a role for him on this team if they didn't already have like a bunch of dudes that are just better than him. But to have Derek White and Malcolm Brogdon off the bench is a huge luxury. Sam Hauser is playing a role that they've desperately needed for years. Uh, yeah, this is the real question: When do we start talking about Sam Hauser's MVP case? <laughs> Biggest plus minus in the league, leading the league in off on differential. Unbelievable! I, I, just love, I just love that he's shooting forty nine percent from three point range, and he's in a rut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the uh again, I think Seth, you pointed this out. I think you're the one that set to put it in the chat of uh his form looks just like Larry Barrett's, which is just, just kind of real interesting. The way the the shot finishes shot. is like at the same, literally the same wow. spot. If you haven't seen the picture, recommend you go and look at that. But this, a lot of again, schematics is one thing, talents another thing, and that's when you combine them together, you get the the beautiful harmony that Boston has offensively. And I, and it's just guys buying into their roles. I don't think any, there is no question about what each person's supposed to do on the match. Like look at Grant Williams. Yeah. Grant, who has expanded his range from the corner outward. Now he's like yeah. much better above the break at three point, you know, on the wing or, or straight up like top of the key. Way he's more confident, way better. Statistically right now. Yeah. He's, shoot, he's shooting them off the dribble. That's I know. Like, that's and the crazy not, part. He's not like taking one or two a game. Like he's shooting almost four a game. Yeah. And he's put it on the deck. When guys come out and close out, he can either do the one dribble, you know, sidestep three, or he can put it on the deck and close out and dunk. Like, the, or he'll dish, like, I don't know. Everybody, the maturation of the whole team is like just kind of all collectively gone another level up. And yeah. everybody at the same time is like, again, at some point, like this isn't going to go like as well. Sorry, we're doing video right now. Did you guys see me just friggin' jump a mile? Because I think a bird just flew into my window at full speed. Happen. Yeah, you talk about you talk about Larry is that Bird. Currently? You talk about Larry Bird, and all of a sudden, boom, bird smokes and kills itself. Yeah, incredible. Know, we'll be dealing with back, 
Like re- rewind the tape. I, I literally just jumped. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Sorry. But no, it's it's again, I, I just think it's a lot of and again a lot of credit goes back to Missoula, but everybody buying in, um, everybody understanding what they're supposed to do on the floor. Uh this bench is insane. Um and everybody's just collectively hitting every check mark you need to check. Again, the only problem Boston has, again, last time I checked it, I didn't check it today, but the only problem Boston has offensively is their offensive rebound percentage yep. towards the bottom of the league. It's like 24th or 26th, somewhere in there. But Boston, every other offensive metric per Glenn Glass is a top four team offensively and mostly number one in everything. So it's great. It's a great problem to have. It's a great problem to have. I guess there are things that, and, and look, maybe the Boston Celtics are just now the Golden State Warriors, right? In, in terms of stylistically and the way they shoot and all, like, I know they don't have, you know, Curry and Clay, they don't have like the, the Splash Brothers per se, but in terms of their depth and the way they use their surrounding pieces, pieces, parts, whatever, maybe they've just become, maybe they've morphed into that team. That is what I'm, I guess if there's one thing, it, and, and it's, I, I didn't think about this till just now, but I guess if there's one thing that if you were to say like projecting ahead another 30, 40 games, what does this look like now? You got to pick one stat that you're wondering about. This is the one that I'm wondering about right now. Grant Williams, Sam Hauser, Al Horford, Peyton Pritchard, Derek White, all on at least two and a half attempts per game, and in some cases up to four and a half, are all shooting at least 40% from three-point range. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, not in that conversation. They are, you know, they're, Brown's at 32 and a half, Tatum's at 36 and a half. Marcus Smart, for the people that like to get on him, here's your year. He's shooting five, you know, per game, and he's shooting not even 30%. But all those other guys, Grant, Hauser, Horford, Pritchard, White, 40-plus percent from three-point range. I want to know if that holds up. And obviously, like you were talking about, Seth, stylistically, if they continue to get the open looks that they are, it should hold up. You know, because we're we're talking about guys that can knock down shots. But but I'm really curious to see how that goes. I mean, it won't be 40%, but, like, if it's 38, I mean, like... You know, if like again, this comes down to like the team as a whole is shooting thirty eight point seven. Yeah, no, I mean, and that I think that could hold up. What were they at like thirty six last year? It's like if you're getting way more, if a higher percentage of the threes you're getting are open or wide open, your percentage of those threes that go in is going to go up. I do think there's probably some like some hot shooting, but I also think there's a a fringe benefit to like deciding stylistically that you're gonna, um you're going to shoot more threes and maybe just that that's like a result of like uh, focusing on driving closeouts and kicking out more. Um, Like if, I don't know if you just like decide in practice, like, okay, we're going to, if we're open on a three, we're going to shoot it. And, and at the same time, we're getting smarter about like, okay, I'm Marcus smart and I'm open. I'm like wide open on the, above the break, but Grant Williams is standing in the corner. Like maybe I'm a little, like, a couple percentage points smarter than I used to be about like throwing the head fake and moving the ball to the corner. Like there's all these like incremental things that you, that are benefits that you get out of playing together for a long time. And so I think there's a bunch of factors coming together. They're, they're better at doing the stuff that they're trying to do. They've made a concerted effort to turn long twos into threes like they're they're shooting like fewer mid-range shots than almost anybody and more threes than almost anybody. Um and so I think like when you decide to do that, you you maybe your confidence level in those shots goes up as well. So they're more open, they're like more in the flow of the offense and you've got more confident shooters taking them. So it makes sense to me that it, they'd they'd make more of them. Looking ahead uh, and and we'll get out of here soon, but I'm just kind of, you know, there was the story during the week from uh, Steve Bulpett, good friend of the program, from uh, Heavy Sports, talking mm. to Al Horford about how uh, Horford wants to play another two to three years beyond this year. He wants to do that in Boston. I think he has probably learned after going to Philly that the the grass is not always greener. It's not always about the money. He wants money was good though. There's a lot of money in that other grass though. Yes, <laughs> money was good. It's true. Well, look, the the money's still been good in Boston because he's on the same contract. It's true, uh, you know, and he wants uh, he wants that championship before he retires. Came damn close last year, and he's certainly in a good position this year. But looking beyond this year, so you got Horford, who's a UFA, Grant is an RFA, and those are your most important yeah. uh, decisions to make. Everybody else is on the books to come back in multiple cases for multiple years. 
But uh, if you're the Celtics, we've had many conversations, the three of us, whether privately over text or on this show, about ownership and spending into the tax and all of that. These are your two guys you're going to have to spend on. You know, Grant, they they didn't want to give uh, seemingly in the neighborhood of 14, 15, maybe $16 million a year when they had the opportunity. Apparently, uh, according to the reports, they were only offering like 11, maybe 12. That was kind of the, the gap between the two. He's gone out. He's had a great start to this year. Somebody is going to make him an offer. The Celtics have the ability to match it. And in terms of Horford, you know, by letting him just go off the books, you can't replace him. You're not replacing Al Horford financially. So are the Celtics, depending on how this year goes, and I don't mean win or loss in terms of a championship, but just being there, being being in the conversation again. And if Horford looks more or less at the end of the year as he does right now, meaning he continues to just age like a fine wine, are the Celtics in a position where they just have to pay these two guys? I think so. Well, Grant, for sure. I mean, he's young and good and fits into what they're doing. And um, I mean, I don't know. Maybe the fact that they didn't, uh, if if there was a number like in that 14 to 16 million range that that, that, they, that uh, Grant would have accepted, I guess is the way I would put it. I, I do question why they why they didn't just go there, but maybe it's possible he w- just wouldn't have accepted that offer, and he's looking for way more than that. I guess the other thing I would say is like, um, what's the math? Like Horford's making twenty, going to end up making twenty six and a half million this year, and so right. there's still a chance like that you could maybe get those two back on that amount of money. So if the team like, if the team's willing to like stay where they are in the tax, which you know they're way into the tax, but if they're willing to do it again next year, I think, I think you got to bring those two back. I mean, Horford is showing signs of aging. I will just say like the shooting has been incredibly hot, but he is like, uh, it's career lows in block rate and steal rate. Um, and he's just like, he's doing less offensively. Like his assist rate is way down. Like he's basically just a spot up shooter. Who's like a really smart team defender at this point. Right. That's a incredibly valuable player though. And, um, and they've always said that the skills that age the best are size and shooting. I guess size at it right now he's shooting. I mean, better than he has in a decade. Yeah. Um, it, you know, 54% from the field, he's shooting 45% from three um, free throws are actually horrible. He's only shooting 63%. He right takes now. like fewer yeah, than one free throw. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Very limited attempts for sure. Uh, but, but it's just, it's like a career worst percentage at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but to your point, rebounds are down, assists are down. Blocks are down, steals are down, yeah. Turnovers are down, and it, you know to give him credit. Well, but he's uh, not. Yeah, he, turnovers uh, are going to be down when you're not doing anything. The except are actually shooting. up. Yeah. Well, so I, yeah, I think like size and shooting age. Well, I have no reason to believe he's going to like. He's still going to be a smart as hell on defense. He's still going to make open shots, but um, it does feel like already he's sort of like settling into a like um a, an even more complimentary role than he's been in in the past but i mean i like if you look at the contract that pj tucker got from philly this offseason i think a full mid-level three years that's the kind of thing i would imagine horford getting even though you know maybe maybe you're not thrilled about paying the second and third years of that deal but like you just like he's a good player and you have to do it my guess is that's the conclusion they would come to yeah I just want to – I think when you look at those two guys and how they complement the rest of the team, like the Grant thing is is going to be the one that, quote-unquote, hurts the most. But, I mean, you're going to have to – I given what we've seen and, you know, depending how this year plays out, like if they get, you know, to the Eastern Conference Finals and lose to the Bucks in like seven games or whatever, uh, yeah, you're going to have to pony up for that. And I think well, Grant – Where are we at in terms of a cap spike? When is the number going up again? I think it's not for another. Isn't I? I, I can't the remember. doesn't come in. Doesn't come in yet. Twenty five is it? Yeah, something like that. So I think I think, but it's going up. Yeah, yeah. That's just not not the crazy amount that it will when because everybody the big thing everybody hears about or talks about Simmons has mentioned it a million times on the show about how like guys are going to make seventy million a year and and you know the people are going to get mad about that, but that's just going to be the amount of money going around so well but i i guess where i was going with that and i've I've mentioned it on the show before and i'm sorry to cut you off before but the the ainge has said it a million times and i it's always resonated with me because i was definitely one of those people that would see a number just a number Mm. and get you know bent out of shape about it like 
you know, I was one of the people that complained about like Avery Bradley getting four for 32. You know what I mean? But once you start looking at it's, it's not about the number anymore. Like we just don't, we don't live in that world anymore. It's percentage of cap percentage of cap is all that matters. And so, you know, if whatever, break it down, your, your stars are going to make the most your role players aren't obviously, but you know, when you look at whatever percentage Grant is going to make compared to the whole cap or Horford's going to make compared to the whole cap, it's fine. It's going to be fine. If you think about resource allocation too, it's like, so maybe like, maybe you pay Horford, but then you like, maybe you decide to dump a draft pick and get off the six and a half million you owe Gallinari next year or something. I mean, like there's like maybe maybe it's worth like eating a future draft pick to make sure you get Horford back for the next couple. Like I think there's like ways of of working that out. It does make me sad to think that Danilo Gallinari may never wear a Celtics uniform. <laughs> it's tough for me specifically. I celebrated that way too much. I'll just time. remind you about Sam Hauser's MVP case and like, <laughs> you know, I, th- I think we're going to be okay. I it's, just wanna... it's not even about that. I, Wait. I I'm, I'm about the story. And I Can love we? The idea. Can we idea. talk about the defense well, though? Celtics fan, a Larry Bird fan. I wanted him to get the chance. Yeah, I want to. I, I want to make sure we talk about the defense. Yeah, we're um, already like an hour in. So before we yeah, yeah. talk about the defense, well, so like I think there's been some hand wringing. Even I've been wringing my hands occasionally that the defense hasn't been good. But I, I, you know, I, I like poked around on this and like, um, so for last year and this year, yeah, I talked about the location effective field goal percentage earlier, like like uh, the quality of the shots you give up. They've been the best in the league last year and they're the best in the league again this year in that um, teams are making. Oh, so there's this interesting thing happening around the league. Like uh, you probably have heard that like the Bucks and the Celtics and the Raptors, there's a few teams like this that had great defenses the last few years, but gave up a lot of three point attempts this year, the Bucks and the, and the Celtics at the same time have both like, they've shut the water off on the opponent threes. Like both those teams have like stopped allowing opponents to shoot as many threes. And all of those shots are being replaced by uh long, like mid range shots. Um So like, that's really good. Actually the Celtics and the Bucks are like allowing an extremely high number of mid range shots. Like some of the highest in the last five years, basically. Um So like all of that is really good. And like they're 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 not allowing shots at the rim. They're not allowing threes. Um, I think opponents are actually like shooting an incredibly high percentage, like something like forty four or forty five percent on long twos against them. Which maybe they might actually not be great at defending those because they're focusing so much on uh, preventing shots at the rim and preventing threes. But I think like. That number will come down. They were actually the best in the league last year at field goal percentage on long twos against. So, like, you got to imagine that's going to regulate a little bit. But I think they're up to, like, league average now defensively. So I think once that percentage on, like, if most of the shots they're giving up are mid-range twos and the percentage on those shots falls by a few percentage points, their defense is going to be really stellar. The thing, I'm wondering if you guys, like, what you guys think about this, because it feels like, Evan and I have been talking about how like it feels like they're running more. They're not, they're like last in the league enforcing turnovers right now. And that number has actually been getting worse over the past few games. And so I'm just like, I don't, I can't quite figure out what's going on. Is that a Rob thing? Like when Rob comes back, the defense settles in more and like they can be a little more aggressive and force turnovers. That's an area that's like the, if the red flag on offense is that they're shooting like maybe an unsustainably high percentage. The red flag on defense to me is that they're not forcing any turnovers. I guess, yeah, but if you look at their numbers like lately, Barrett had it on his last podcast, um, and it came after the Atlanta win. Mm-hmm. And I, again, I don't have numbers in front of me, so I apologize. But I'm gonna I'm gonna paraphrase what the 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 Hawks had an offensive rating like in the first quarter of like somewhere near like 118, 120. Second quarter was very similar. Third quarter that dropped to like a little bit over a hundred and Boston's fourth quarter defense just said absolutely no more of this. And Atlanta's offensive rating fell to like 88 points per hundred possessions. So what we've, what we've seen the improvement again, we noted Kirk Goldsberry's graph in the beginning of the show or somewhere in the show where Boston the past 10 days, number one in offense, not shocking. Number one in net, not shocking, but the number six in defense. 
Mm-hmm. Um, they have gotten better over the past couple of games. It's very noticeable, especially again, the, the second half of the game. And well, I'll say the last minute, 30 seconds in the fourth quarter against Oklahoma city. And then again, the second half, specifically the fourth quarter against Atlanta, like when they really want to, it feels like they can, they can turn it on. Mm-hmm. And I think they just, I don't know, maybe they just don't feel like doing it all game, but it's that there have been improvements and then like adding Rob to this at some I mean, that's the thing. Is going to be hysterical. Yeah. It's like you go back to last season. Defensively, it was the best team we've seen since the 0-4 Pistons. Monstrous. So it's, like, it's like there's a there's a there is a, a a path at some point where it's like I don't know if the if the computer can handle because like I remember last year five thirty eight had Boston as the overwhelming like title favorite because right. the numbers the math like loves the Celtics and like Bill loves math. Yeah. Um. Well, it might happen again. I'm just going to throw that out there. And again, oh, I think it will. My favorite quote of the season so far is Mozilla with I like math. And I'm just going to keep throwing that out there because he's (laughs) been on the money about that. Math's been very kind to the Celtics so far. He might be up to something. I'm away, baby. Let's do it. Before, uh, before we leave, I want to ask you guys this. So, so I've, I'm going to harp on this as long as it's true, which is the Celtics could be undefeated right now. They're 12 and three, but the three losses, two have come in overtime to Cleveland, and the other one was when they pissed away a 19 point lead. That's why we haven't done any like complaining. You can't, the show. You can't say this. They lost that Bulls game by almost 20 points. Like yeah, after leading by nine. I know, but you points. can't, you just can't be like, I know, we're almost... I know you feel differently about runs than I do, but that's not my point. My point is if they, you know, didn't crap their pants in that game, you know, plus the overtime games, they could, they, there's, there's an alternate. For you community fans, there's an alternate timeline here where the Celtics are 15. Hey, so what so are you saying? 82 and 0? We should have no, been 82 no, and 0? No, 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 Here's My question is this. The upcoming schedule, the next like 10 games, I want you guys to identify, make a prediction just for giggles. Okay. Where is the first legitimate loss coming in? Legitimate are you going to give me the schedule? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, legitimate being defined by, you know. say Dallas. Yeah, they're they're not in it at the end, or like it's it's not a game that that we're gonna come out of and saying, man, like how did they not win that game? They're gonna lose to the Pelicans tonight just because you're doing this. Maybe, but look, it, you know, I I was supposed to be legitimate. Who knows? We go to overtime. Uh, it, well, yeah, over overtime. I mean, if they blow a lead, it doesn't count. No, if they blow a 19-point <laughs> lead, it doesn't count. <laughs> Those <laughs> are the rules. So, All right, I can lose one wire. Yeah, yeah, they they were up two nothing, guys. I don't know what the issue is. <laughs> at at New Orleans, at Chicago. Okay, and then you have a six game homestand. Okay, Dallas, Sacramento, right there. Uh, Washington, Charlotte, two with Miami. Okay, I just want to hear the whole ten. Is there anything else? I'm going to stop there. Then they hit the road again. That's that's still I I imagine it's going to come sometime in the next. You know, week. weirdly, I'm more worried about the Sacramento game than the Dallas game. What's that? Weird is, it Ter- is it Terrence Davis who went and, off the night Washington for Sacramento? Are back to back if you care about that. That Sacramento offense kind of scares the hell out of me. Sure. Um, I like what they got. I like what they got going. I was skeptical about them, even even like given the low expectations, and they've been that offense is like humming. So you've got them taking this winning streak to at least 11 anyway, or 12, right? I mean, they? listen, they should the Celtics are going to be heavy favorites in every one of the games you just mentioned. Yep. Yeah, I'm I'm I I'm just going with the standard it's going to be the Dallas game because Luke is playing for Dallas. So, I'm going to give uh I'm going to say they they extend this run in a massive way. They're going to lose tonight. Thanks yeah, now, Coffin. Way to go. It's going to be it's going to be one of those two Miami games. I okay, mean, I'm I'm gonna say they finished the like season. 16. I'm gonna say they finished the season seventy nine and three. There it is. Nobody can stop them. Yeah, massive, massive winning streak. I'll tell you yeah. though, I I remember being I was I happened to be the lucky the, the circumstances. I was in Boston for that Golden State Boston game when when Golden State had won like twenty six in a row or whatever. Yeah. Oh yeah. And yeah. Boston took him to double OT, and it was like. There was the the Celtics had no business taking that Golden State team to double overtime. It was like Avery Bradley and Kelly O'Lynn. It was always insane. played those guys tough. Always, it, always. 
And it was like, I could have sold my ticket for way too much money that night. I didn't do it because it was just like, I wanted to be closer to the, the action. It was nice. Yeah. But then the, to, to have them lose the next night to Milwaukee, because they were on, the, <laughs> they were on the, that was the first of the back to back. Milwaukee was the second. It was like, Seth Lewis should get a half a win for that. That's crazy. Because the only reason why that team lost is they were exhausted from playing the season the night before. It went a double overtime. It was like one of the best games I've ever seen in a loss in my life. I like walked out of there. I was like, that was awesome. That was it's like the best game I've ever seen. It was crazy. All right. Well, let's hope this winning streak goes to 84 games or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Hey, bud, for the cameo from my son. This show. Hey. Hey, hold on. Hold on. Hang on one sec. This show is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. BetOnline.ag. To, uh, go, go there. Go to the website. Use the promo code CLNS50 for a 50% sign-up bonus for... Uh, for Evan, for Landon, for my son, for the bird. I'm Adam. We'll talk to you again uh, at some point later on. Yeah, bye. Say bye. <laughs> <laughs>